everyone, welcome to episode 76 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast to ever die on day one of SCG Columbus, <laughs> the special focus on the SCG Tour. We're your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me as always, Collins Mullen. Hey Collins. Hey Chris, what's up? Not much, we both went to SCG Columbus this weekend. We sure did. We both had kind of limited success, <laughs> tournament-wise at yeah. least. Yeah, neither of us made day two of the team open. So, you know, that's a bummer. But, to be honest, Columbus uh, followed through on just being a great city once again. So, not really many complaints from me. I agree. It was fun. Yeah, yeah. We split up a little at some point in the weekend, and I'm sorry to say that you missed out on uh, Dirty Frank's Hot Dog Palace. Yes, I heard that you guys found a a pretty miraculous hot dog place in Columbus. Really good. So. So hopefully, you know, it was right by our hotel, so that made it very convenient, because we were hanging out playing Smash with Zan and Austin Collins, and really it was it was a good night. It sounds like a great weekend. It was good. I mean, I didn't have quite as many exciting times during the, You know, we never ran into the triple hack-on strong geld scourge. We- <laughs> well, yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up, because uh, one of our losses was to, yeah, the triple hack-on team, and they, they actually ended up losing their win in for day two, I think, in the last round on that's, camera. That's brutal. So if you want to check these decks out, check out round nine of the Columbus team open. Three versions of hack-on builds, for those who are unaware... Hakon is... I don't even know if I can describe it All very right. well. Hakon is a 1 black black 3-3 three three zombie knight. You can only cast Hakon from your graveyard. When Hakon dies, you lose 2 life. And as long as he's in play, you can cast knight cards from your graveyard. Yeah, and the synergy with that is... Nameless uh, Inversion. Nameless Inversion. Other changeling and, cards. And Crib Swap is yeah. the other card that people are really liking with it. Is, <laughs> and uh, poor, Z- poor Zan was on Death Shadow... And he's playing against the Recur Crib Swap over and over again deck. And I think it's literally impossible for him to, like, that's got to be like a 10% matchup for him. It was pretty bad. Well, the good news for us sitting down was that we had two KCI players. Me and Austin were on KCI. And Great. we're like, all right, we're playing against Hackon, and we both just, like, obliterated him game one. And and then we're kind of, like, both confused about what we're playing against, because we didn't see anything other than Lingering Souls, maybe. But uh, but Austin actually ended up getting stonied out of both of his post-board games. And then, yeah, Zan, Zan lost his match. So so that was it, you know. <laughs> Good job, Hackon team. Um, yeah, it is too bad that they missed day two. I know. Zan seemed like he was kind of just in a state of, like, like this morose state of confusion afterward. <laughs> yeah. He had a little trouble processing what had happened to you guys. Yeah, 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 for sure. That might have been the moment that our our, our, our tournament started to go downhill. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we I, I teamed with Jeremy, Collins' roommate and our good friend, and our friend uh, T. Lee. We died at 4-3. and three. It was a pretty good tournament. I played Phoenix, and I was extremely happy with the deck. Yeah. Um, I know, like, you're not supposed to say your individual record or whatever in team tournaments, but... Like, I went 6-1 and one with the deck, and that's just to say, like, I'm pretty confident that this is a very strong deck in Modern right now. I yeah. beat a lot of stuff that, you know, you're not supposed to beat, but that's just because Modern decks have a fail rate, and my opponent's decks, every once in a while, like, I, I beat KCI twice in the tournament, which is a bad matchup. And, and KCI is pretty consistent, but it can stumble sometimes, and with the number of cantrips in Phoenix, if you just mulligan intelligently, it's so consistent that I was able to do my thing, and if anybody just wasn't doing it, then you usually get there against them. So, yeah, I do really like the deck. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think that the the Phoenix deck is going to be a mainstay in modern, mm-hmm. pretty you know, pretty solidly tier one moving forward. I think it's it's a little overshadowed right now by KCI, and yeah, I'm certainly going to continue playing KCI until okay. it's banned. But uh, but yeah, I mean, people definitely shouldn't be overlooking that deck. It's it's very strong. I w- I've been playing testing it with it a little bit earlier in this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seems really strong. Yeah, yeah, and we're going to talk about modern and Columbus weekend and stuff in just a minute. I don't have. A hand for keep them all this week. I have to admit to everybody that my my preparation level has decreased a little bit for just one episode as I have adjusted. You know, I've I've been at my new job for exactly one week now, so figuring out my scheduling and stuff like that. So yeah. I haven't got a keep them all, but we do have a new mini segment, mm-hmm. which is. Do we have a name for this? This is just... Uh, Collins talks about how the latest arena... Fun this is fun already too long. <laughs> for fun format is broken. No, I don't know. Collins Breaks Arena. Let's go. Collins Breaks Arena. So yeah, so, you know, Arena's gotten pretty popular. People have picked up on now that they're doing kind of like this weekly... Is it is it a weekly thing or like every other week? I'm not entirely sure how consistently they change it up. But essentially, Arena puts out this like kind of for fun format... That changes up the rules of magic a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, the first one that, I, that they did, which I really loved, was the um, Amazonian Play Anything draft, mm-hmm. where you, you did a draft, and with the stipulation that everything was... Uh, you had an omniscience emblem, essentially. So you could cast all of your cards for free. Yep. Um, you only started with three cards in your hand as a balancing factor, but it was kind of like this cool, unique format that they were able to put up on Arena. And then, you know, the next one they did was, like, Crips um, Treasure Draft or something, where in, in addition to the draft, you, uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, got a treasure token. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, these add in all sorts of implications into how you want to draft and stuff. So it's, like, a pretty interesting, like, unique format that you can explore and, you yeah. know... I think they should have done them in the opposite order, though, because getting one treasure token a turn felt like just like kind of less than oh, yeah, 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 the Amazonian sure. draft. But yeah. but it was still cool. Like it, it still like impacts the way you draft and is is very neat, like splashing cards and cutting lands from your deck and stuff. Like definitely you know, it was it was fun and cool, but it, it suffered in comparison a little bit. Yeah, for sure. But so anyways, uh, I've really loved those formats. I've been I've been playing them um, pretty consistently. The mm-hmm. latest one is an old favorite from Magic Online, Momir. Right. So Momir is your deck is all lands, uh, but you have an emblem that says you can pay X mana and discard a card to uh, to essentially generate a token that is a copy of a random creature of that converted mana cost. And it's pretty different on Arena because it can only pick from the pool of Arena legal yeah, yeah, creatures. Yeah. Right. Yeah, on Magic Online it was like all creatures that existed, right. but now it's just kind of the more recent ones that do exist on Arena. <clears throat> so the format's pretty different. And there's all sorts of like different strategies that people have come up with in terms of like how they want to approach it. Um, but I think I've figured out a pretty good system that's been working really well for me. I think that I've gotten to five wins on the past like couple of mm-hmm. Momir drafts that I've done. Essentially, so uh, there's only three nine drops that exist. Right. And one of them is Zakama. <laughs> Zakama is pretty good. Yeah. So getting up to your ninth land drop is really important. Yep. And curving out is also really important. So you want to be doing something on every turn, mm-hmm. essentially. Uh, the problem is that if you start on turn one, then you actually run out of resources and can't get up to your ninth land drop unless you start skipping right. turns. On, on the draw, you only get to a seven mana creature if you start yeah. on turn one, and right. on the play, you only get to a six mana yeah. creature. Right. 
but because the comma is so important, specifically in this one, mm -hmm. um, the best strategy is actually to not play anything until turn four if you're on the play, or turn three if you're on the draw. Wow, okay. Because those early drops are just get brick-walled by mm -hmm. all the bigger things that people start slamming. Post yeah. Later. The only thing you're happy to get is, like, Elvish Rejuvenator on three and, like, <laughs> yeah. of the Cowl on right. two. And those yeah, are yeah. busted. Yeah, well, true, for sure. But, but yeah, so... So what I figured out is that you just you shouldn't ever play anything until turn three if you're on the draw or turn four if you're on the play. So kind of strangely, being on the draw is significantly better because you can you get to blank the first play, yeah, which is great. And then the other like weird piece that I've learned is that you shouldn't you shouldn't ever try for a six CMC creature. So on your because uh, there is oh no, I'm blanking on the name of it bells and lock. Yeah, Demon Lord Bells and Lock. Uh, turns out your deck is all lands. So if you cast Demon Lord Bells and Lock, you just lose. <laughs> you're, you're just not willing to take that chance at all. Yeah. Uh, what I figured out is that all the fives and all the sixes are pretty comparable in terms of their effect mm. on the on the game. Okay. So it's just pretty free to, on your sixth land drop turn, just cast a five. That makes sense. Um, and then you don't lose, like, a percentage of the time on the spot. Now, um, I do have a question. So when you hit nine mana... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, Momir X equals nine, and you get Molder Hulk, and yeah. you get a land back. Okay. Do you just start making whatever the giant indestructible worm is the next turn, the ten mana indestructible worm, or do you go it's, for it as a comma? It's important to know about that because it is a line. Mm -hmm. Is it sometimes you brick on Zakama and then you get that tenth land into play? Um, you, there is a ten mana creature, and it's just an indestructible sixteen sixteen, yeah. and that's pretty good. The, I have found that that beats Zakama. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I, I think it's fine, but it, sometimes it's like board state contingent. It is, yeah. Um, Zakama is way better if they have like a flyer attacking you or something like that, for sure. Right, right. And Zakama just has the ability to just win the game, where the 16-16 is like a thing that, you know, maybe you're maybe you're behind in life total because you didn't play anything for a while mm -hmm. and you, you need to make sure that you don't get run over. Yeah. So, right. So, yeah, Mulder Hulk is one of the misses on Zakama. <laughs> right. Which is kind of funny, but... But it's not nearly as bad as hitting the Convoke guy at 9, uh, Arboretum Element. Yeah, yeah, the 7-5. That's, that's a disaster. Right, yeah. So, yeah, so I've, I've been sticking to that formula. And, of course, the, another really important piece is to make sure that you are optimizing your combat. I, uh, I think a, a majority of the games that I win actually come from just being better at that part of the game. Mm -hmm. you, you get to realize that there's just no tricks. So all the attacks and blocks are as... As, face up. Yeah, just completely face up. So if you do that optimally, you actually get a pretty significant advantage a lot mm -hmm. of the time. The other like weird corner case pieces are if your opponent doesn't really isn't trying for the Zakama plan and is like trying to curve out ones and stuff, then you might consider playing something one turn earlier. Mm -hmm. um, just to make sure you don't get run over. If their one drop is like significantly threatening, say yeah. it's a flyer or a two power creature, then you're like, all right, I don't want to get run over by this thing. Right. But yeah, those are those are my thoughts on. And then you consider skipping a drop once you've stabilized a little bit or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. One of the one of the mistakes that I found that a lot of people make is that they are like, I'm okay doing something a turn early. I'll just skip my six because that's the worst one. Mm -hmm. But you can just you just play a five play on five. six, and I would much rather be playing a five on my journey to Zakama than I would be uh, playing a. Um, uh, you know, a three. a three. And that's yeah. essentially the difference. So your three comes out earlier, but 
So right, it doesn't stack up value the way that like a three drop in constructed does because we only play three drops that like get value right, right, and, right. and do stuff. Like you're gonna get a two three, and that's not very valuable. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, it doesn't really do much. Yeah, two threes I found are much better than three twos it's in true. some strange way, but um, but yeah. So yeah, Momir, I'm gonna have fun with it. Cool. All right, so Columbus weekend, we talked about a little bit, but there were some, you know, things to go over. Yeah, so what did you think about just the triple non-unified modern? Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. It pretty much just felt like I was playing modern. Yeah, same. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I was playing modern next to two of my friends playing modern, and yep. uh, yeah, we were all just playing modern. Yeah, it, you know, it was like kind of a cool concept and stuff, but it really... It's just in this middle ground between playing modern, playing a team tournament, stick them together, and it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No no problems, nothing bad about it, but that's all it was. Let's see. So you played KCI? I did. I played KCI. Uh, Austin also played KCI. <laughs> um, kind of our journey leading up into the tournament was figuring out how many fabricates we wanted to play. So now, most people stop before even thinking about Fabricate. When well, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we had kind of figured out that, uh, we're, I guess I had figured out that I really liked Fabricate in the deck. Mm -hmm. um, I think that just having an additional copy of KCI gives you a significant edge mm -hmm. um, in, in in many ways. Uh, like the KCI Mirror is all about just who draws the first crack clan iron works. Yep. They win. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> whatever like nature's claims and stuff, we, KCI can just plow through those post boards. So, Find like being able to get to your KCI first is um, pretty important mm -hmm. um, there, uh, and then you know, and in a lot of other matchups, um, you know, I got Thossies sometimes, and I was like, all right, KCI fabricate. I showed them in my hand, and they were like, oh, I guess I take the KCI. Oh no, yeah, <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, just that redundant piece on that card felt really powerful. Sure. So I definitely recommend that people play fabricate moving forward in KCI. I I do think that it's a good addition. Um, I ended up playing it over the size in the main, mm -hmm. um, just because I think it's a better main deck card. Uh, it's much more likely, in my experience, that you just like want to find your KCI to be able to go off than it is that your opponent's going to be able to successfully disrupt that in game ones. Mm -hmm. You know, in that scenario where you need a side, it's true that some game ones you're like, "Wow, I'm really glad that I had the side because there wouldn't be another way I could win here." But yeah, I just found that that doesn't really come up that often. Mm -hmm. uh, post board happens all the time right. so yeah, I win as many sizes as I want in, in many matchups definitely but yeah but game one I, I really like um, Fabricate so but I was pretty happy with that there's there's not much like them having a stony silence out and then you play a side and just win anyways <laughs> yeah yeah right but yeah I mean and that that happens yeah the lets you sacrifice your your artifacts that have death triggers gives you cards and then gives you more gives you tokens to kill them with yes yeah. Can't beat it. Dylan just sent me a screenshot of um, a board, a snapshot of a board state on Magic Online, and it, his opponent had a Tide Hollow Scholar, two Stonies, a Rest in Peace, like a, some Planeswalker. Uh -huh. uh, you know, they were just doing it right. Uh, and Dylan's side of the board state was a Psy and a bunch of Thopters, yep. and his opponent conceded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just so like flipped. What it's doing, it's t it's making use of the exact same resources, but it's exploitable in completely different ways from the way your your main plan is exploitable. So it just it beats up on everything they're doing to try to stop you. I Psy is like the scariest card for me playing against KCI. So yeah, yeah, it makes sense for sure. Well, post board, I mean, you know, I've got these surgical. Like I I had one game that I was playing online uh, against misplaced ginger, uh, 
and I screwed up because I used a surgical to counter a buried rune activation on an engineered explosives. I was going to kill my thing in the ice, but it didn't matter that game. What I needed to do was surgical away his uh, side that I had killed a turn earlier because he had no way of I had already surgicaled his KCIs, so as long as I surgicaled his size, then it was very unlikely that he would ever have a way to kill me that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I just made a mistake by trying to get value and like, like keep my clock fast, and, and he played a side the next turn, and I just couldn't possibly beat it in a million years. So, <laughs> right. um, yeah. Yeah, I, card's pretty crazy. Yep. Deck's pretty crazy. Yeah, so I guess we should also end up talking about Grand Prix Oakland. Yeah, yeah. Well, so when I guess if we finish talking about like our hangouts and stuff on Columbus weekend and then move on to modern, okay, and we'll yeah, talk yeah. about Columbus or we'll talk about Oakland then. Deal. So I played Drake's in standard. I played the standard classic the next day. I think uh, our rule going forward for faraway tournaments has to be everybody plays the standard classic. <laughs> yeah. It was two rounds Sig- shorter, significantly shorter. <laughs> um, and Zan told me not to play Drake's. And you agreed with Zan, and I think you guys were pretty much right. Yeah. I like it in the standard format, but the I think specifically in Classics, it was a mistake. Okay. Um, people are bringing Magic Arena decks to Classics and stuff. Oh, um, interesting. You know, like, it's a more casual sort of tournament, like, not quite as serious as an Open. People are willing to play, like, their pet things and stuff, and there's more stuff from outside of the metagame, and especially people's fun decks from Magic Arena, which honestly, Drake's is kind of like one of my fun Magic Arena decks that I really like playing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I played against two blue-black, like, Thought Erasure, Disinformation Campaign, three main deck Eldest Reborn decks, which I don't think is a playable deck in Standard. Like, both of my opponents told me after the match, like, yeah, I just keep losing to Carnage Tyrants this tournament. Because the deck just can't beat Carnage Tyrants with Merfolk Branchwalker next to it to sacrifice the Eldest Reborn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I don't, I don't think that deck is is a reasonable choice for a, a tournament you're taking super seriously. But you know, a classic is not necessarily that. And so I think in the future I'm going to make sure to be bringing decks that are as generically powerful against stuff that people can do as possible. Um, just. You know, I also almost lost to Black White Tribal Vampires because that's not a deck. You know, if I were playing like Golgari, that's just all powerful cards. Then Call to the Feast wouldn't be giving me any problems. But yeah. I was playing Phoenix, which attacks from a very direct angle. It's great against decks that like have trouble with dive down and are trying to spend four mana to kill your creature and can't really like deal with that getting countered. Against other decks, you have some problems, and I think that picking that kind of deck for the classic was a mistake. Okay, that's fair. So for sure. Yeah, yeah, it feels like Phoenix has to really attack on those specific angles, mm-hmm. um, and it's good at that if you know that you're only playing one of the top three decks or whatever. Yeah. But the more the diverse format, yep. it makes a lot of sense. Definitely. For sure. And, you know, when we saw it, like, start replacing... When we, when we saw Drake's start replacing Phoenix, you know, we said, like... This deck is only powerful if it gets a good turn where it catches something with Spell Pierce or Dive Down. And every time you play against a deck that doesn't really care about Dive Down in particular, um, yeah, you right. lose a big amount of your power. Yeah, yeah. It's just a card that's just not, you know, it's, yeah. it's a brick in your deck at that point. Right, and it it's supposed to be, you know, it's like your draft deck. It's That's basically like your your first pick. Like, it's the, the most down. powerful card in the yeah, deck, yeah. honestly. It's, it's what gets you the most wins. If it doesn't do anything in the matchup, that's a problem. That makes a lot of sense. 
Jeremy played the modern event, and he played Death Shadow for the first time and got 10th place. I think he was kind of crushing with it all day. Very so nice. Yeah, very yeah. cool. Yeah, I was really happy that he played Shadow. Um, and, you know, uh, he definitely knows how to pilot through those, like, uh, you know, creature and interaction kind of games. So, yeah. yeah. It was pretty awesome to see him do well with that. Uh, he traditionally plays a lot of Jund and played Black Green at the... Um, on my team at the team open mm -hmm. um, and then after like three rounds with Death Shadow I think he was pretty much not only sold on the deck but kind of wondering why he had been playing Tarmogoyf <laughs> decks for so long he, he did mention that he was like wow this deck is just way more powerful than what I've used to <laughs> I'm like yeah <laughs> yeah I mean Shadow and let's talk about just Shadow in general right yeah. now uh, I've heard a lot of high praise from a lot of players that I respect the opinions of where they think that Shadow is really well positioned in Modern right now. Yeah. It's got a good KCI matchup and it seems like the, the axis that it's trying to attack things on is good right now in Modern. I mean, how many decks in Modern would you say legitimately have a positive matchup against KCI? Yeah. <laughs> not that many. Right? Shadow's one of them. Shadow is Absolutely. one of them. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, there's just not. Spirits is close. It's close. I but mean, I, I don't know if it's positive in, in an extreme degree yeah but yeah no a good point for sure so yeah i i definitely am am sympathetic to that like i think i like shadow right now yeah yeah and shadow honestly is it's a blast to play shadow <laughs> i and I, this is a you know an element of magic that i've mostly ignored throughout my like you know grinding tournaments career so far mm -hmm. um but i've just i i rarely have as much fun playing magic as i do when i'm playing shadow you just yeah. get to make all sorts of decisions all the time much faster than your opponents mm -hmm. um you really get super rewarded by making the the taking these like really intricate good lines yeah but also you can get extraordinarily punished for missing a tiny tiny detail in one of your one of your games so yeah no deck gets punished as hard as Shadow does for, for taking a slightly wrong line or or even just playing your cards in the wrong order. Yeah. Like, that's... Yeah. Right. Well, you know, Amulet's probably another deck that, that gets extraordinarily punished for that, but... <laughs> yeah, we actually... So we should talk about Amulet, too, a little bit. We, we should. We had an interesting conversation about this earlier where both Jeremy and I were saying that we don't feel like Amulet is honestly that powerful, that good of a deck, mm -hmm. objectively. Yeah. And one of the reasons for this is I keep, I mean, I keep winning against it, mm -hmm. and it's a lot of times it's not necessarily because of anything that I did. I just put on the fastest clock that I possibly can, and then I see that your opponent stumbled and died. Yeah. 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 And that, that seemed to happen an amount of time, uh, like a percentage of the time to which like the... The no bad matchups meme is mostly because, like, it doesn't really matter what deck Amulet is playing against. It just, like, fails some percentage <laughs> of the time, and that's where most of its losses come from. And it yep. doesn't matter what you're doing to it. For sure. But, um, I mean, you, you disagreed, and I thought you raised some good points when we were talking about that. Yeah, so one thing I want to talk a little bit about, that, and this will get back to Amulet, So, but give me a second. Sure. Um, uh, is I want to talk about the micro and the macro mm -hmm. of playing strategy games i think that you know i've been exploring some other strategy games and just like other like you know skill intensive hobbies mm -hmm. um like i'm you know I, I recently just started hitting climbing again pretty aggressively cool and that has taught me a lot about like my learning styles and stuff and anyways the the concept that i'm that i've recognized in all of these really high level strategy hobbies is that 
when you're first starting to learn the game, you really, really need to focus on the micro. Mm -hmm. And in Magic, that means that you need to focus on your sequencing, your like technical play. Uh, you need to make sure that you're operating all of your turns effectively. You know, making the correct land drops, making the right trades. You know, all these things that are happening on a very micro mm -hmm. level that are very important. And if you get them wrong, you're gonna lose. Yep. But but it's still these are all still part of the micro. And once you've reached a certain comfort a, a level of comfort a comfort this, level. Yeah. I keep on wanting to say comfortability, but I just don't think that's a word. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm leaving that in, so just so you know. Great. Yeah. yeah. Once you get comfortable enough with the micro, yep. you get t the opportunity to move on into the macro, mm -hmm. right? The really learning how to play the game, right? Yeah. Um, you really learn how, you know, how the cards interact with each other in this, like, bigger sense. Um uh, you know what interactions you know are going to happen in every every time in a particular matchup. How you can utilize those interactions in your favor. Mm -hmm. um, how you can develop game plans. I talk about game plans all the time because uh, because this macro of magic, I think, is where the real skill is. Mm -hmm. um, if you understand what's happening in this game on a bigger level and you have a better plan, then those like micro skills that you developed and learned and stuff, they're all very important and you need to get that right a high enough percentage of the of time to be able to play. But then once you get to the macro, you really start developing your game plans, figuring out how to approach certain matchups, what's mm -hmm. important in the matchups, and that's where people really get edges in Magic. I yeah. Think. So in Amulet, uh, people have developed all of their micro for, for playing normal Magic. Right, mm -hmm. making your land drops appropriately, sequencing and stuff. Amulet plays a pretty different game right. in the in the micro sense. It does. Um, in order to play Amulet well, you need to have mastered the micro of it, mm -hmm. and because the micro of Amulet, the small technical plays, um, sequencing your all of your plays and stuff, it's really really hard to learn all this. Can stuff. I give an example of this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was watching Will Pulliam just like hanging out and playing a game, mm -hmm. uh, just between rounds, um, and his play on turn two was to miss a land drop and say go mm -hmm. when he had three lands in hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like these are these are plays that are really difficult to make. These micro level plays where it's just like I'm saving these lands to make mana on a later turn when right. I'm ready to make mana. Um, it plays fundamentally differently from pretty much any other deck in modern and if, if you don't have that th then <laughs> your person your win percentage right. is going to be much lower yeah 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 um so right so so the the kind of this weird dynamic of amulet specifically is that the micro is much more important than normal magic mm -hmm. um and it's much more punishing when you don't do it right yeah so you have to in order to be tournament ready with the amulet deck i feel like you have to have mastered the micro mm -hmm. which very very few people have done because it's very very hard with amulet um and then those players who play Amulet consistently enough to have ma mastered the, the technical aspect of it um, and developed all of their like mental shortcuts for yeah. figuring out lines, those are also extraordinarily important. When I'm listening to players like Daryl Ayers and Edgar Magalhaes mm -hmm. talk about the way that they think about the stuff, yeah. they're not thinking about any of the technical stuff at all. They're thinking about what their plans are. Sure. They get to, they have the opportunity to you know shift over into, oh, in this matchup, I just need to make sure that I'm 
uh, recurring all of my Titans by getting a Teleria West every time, right. and that's what wins here. Or in this matchup, I need to forget Titans and go make sure that I'm just like eating them all the time, and that's what wins in this matchup. Yeah, it's really hard to write a paper yeah. if you're sitting there thinking about how to put your finger on the letter of the keys. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think this applies to any skill mm-hmm. that you can have, is that, you know, you when you're first getting into it, you need to develop your micro, you need to, you know, you need to be able to type without thinking about it in yeah. order to write a paper. Yep. You just have to. And that is true for, for playing Magic as well, is you need to develop all these micro skills so that when you when you're really writing, you can express that and not have to worry about all this other stuff mm-hmm. so that you can really, you know, get into the, the nitty-gritty of it. Yeah. Um, so I think that that might be why you might have that experience with Amulet is that you're probably playing against a lot of players who are really spending a lot of mental energy on, mm-hmm. you know, the the elements of it that are kind of not as... The, the earlier elements that they need to kind of like have clicked and shortcutted already yeah. um, in order for them to be able to think about their big game plans and yeah. stuff. So I mean, I think that's right. And that, that you know, that's a very in-depth and focused way of talking about the fact that you may you might think the deck is bad because you keep playing against a lot of people who are bad with the deck, but I, I do appreciate the like being but, very specific about why this seems to be happening to so many people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And, you know, I, I don't want to just say that a majority of amulet players are bad with the deck. Right. That's uh, not useful information. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, but I think that this is a thing that is very reasonably explained. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this element of magic is just so heavily emphasized by specifically amulet. Yeah, definitely. Um, so and I know a lot of people who have picked up KCI, especially my smart friends who are who have had a lot of practice playing with magic and maybe have played combo decks and stuff like that mm-hmm. um are very you know they'll tell you like casey is not as hard to play as as people might think it is yeah but i have seen a similar thing to this amulet thing with kci in that maybe because of the resources that are available canister providing so much information about how to play KCI with Lee's Bible out and stuff like that. Normal people are playing KCI, not just people who really want to play artifact combo decks. Normal people are playing KCI because they've seen the win rate, they have the resources, and a lot of them are still catching up to uh, you know some of the deeper plays, some of the tougher yeah. things. Because it, it, uh, the reality is that it just takes a while to get comfortable enough with the deck to be able to make plays. With it does. Deck, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so... I, I've been winning games against KCI as well where, um, you know, I, I had one opponent who had goldfished. We, we talked about this after the match, um, and he had goldfished with the deck before. He had learned the loops. It, it sounded like he had learned how to play the cards in the deck, but um, he had a lot of trouble evaluating what was important on my side of the game. So when I started attacking him and threatening him with a lot of damage because I did flip a thing in the ice he wasn't used to making those sorts of evaluations. Mm -hmm. So he blew up an engineered explosives to kill my thing in the ice, but it cost him his mind stones in order to do that. And um, after the game, we we talked about how that was probably using up too many resources on something that wasn't the thing that mattered in that game. Sure. And I think that, you know, as time goes on, people are going to become better at these parts of the game with KCI that they didn't really know about before and yeah once they do and the tournament is 10% or 15% KCI then we might have a real problem on our hands (laughs) yeah yeah for sure for sure 
But yeah, I mean, I think that that is a good example where uh, if maybe if your opponent knew that they were going to have to blow up your thing in the ice a turn or so in advance, they mm-hmm. could have played around that. Sure. Um, so you know, if and if so, if they could like have all of their sequencing up until that point, kind of locked in, and they knew that that was their plan, they could play around that accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they're, you know, if they're all of a sudden getting attacked by the thing in the ice and they don't know what to do, and previously they've just been defaulting to their normal sequencing, right. you know, that can be pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that is advanced level stuff. Um, but Magic's it's stuff, really hard. It's, <laughs> it's yeah. really hard, yeah. Yeah, magic is really hard. Um, so. <laughs> A good point. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, modern... You know, GP Oakland results, we saw already, we saw those four KCI decks in the top eight. It's a lot. It's a lot. You know, Matt Nass up in there again. Not a surprise. Not a surprise. Yeah. That's four top fours in a row. Is that is that in a in- row? Including two wins, right? Okay. I, I, I think that that, that's, that's it, just the, pre- just the past four modern Grand Prix that Matt Nass has played in. He's, he's made the top, top four. Jeez. Yeah. He has to have missed once, right? Like, come I, on. I don't... I don't think so. Jeez. That's... I don't know. That's maybe. incredible. Yeah, maybe but, maybe it's just this is the past four that I've right. that I've heard about. No, but, but, but if, it, if it's in a row, that's insane. Even if yeah. it's not, like, four in, like, a, a year period with the same deck is, like, yeah, phenomenal. Yeah, the time period just feels so short with me, so I guess that's why I assumed that it was in a row. But yeah. That, that could be... I, I don't know exactly, but yeah, it's, it's just a an insane accomplishment yeah um but also just the fact that there were four kci decks in the top eight is a pretty big deal we don't want to take put too much stock into just the top eight decks in the tournament yeah yeah yeah. but it did show up oh Um, it did in a big way for sure yeah um sam black was on it in the top eight uh second place uh hunter cochran was on it yep that's a story Uh, yeah hunter uh Hunter's great. <laughs> I'll just put I'll just throw that out there. Hunter. So one of the storylines that came out of um, Grand Prix Oakland was that in the finals of the tournament, it was Hunter Cochran against Ely Cassis. Mm-hmm. Ely was on Blue Red Phoenix. Is an it, inter- is an it, interesting is it, is it Phoenix? Phoenix deck that we should probably talk about in a minute. Oh yeah. Um, Ely likes playing decks that he's tuned to his preferences, and yeah. it really shows in all of the decks that he plays. But he's a master, so I mean. You know, mm-hmm. it's definitely worth taking note of the things that he does. But yeah, so so Ely was playing that deck, and he was playing against Hunter on KCI, and Ely got up a game, and then Hunter just was like, all right, you, you know what, you got it, and conceded the, the whole match <laughs> in order to, to, catch, make, his to catch his flight. Um, another implication was that Ely locked Platinum with mm-hmm. uh, a win. Yeah, so congrats to him. Um, so He's yeah, been that crushing was, it, that was pretty so, great. so he deserves it, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so that was that was really good to hear. It felt like that that top four played out pretty pretty ideally in a lot of senses. So yeah, I think it might have been Patrick Sullivan that pointed out on Twitter that like the vast majority of people who were like angry at Hunter Cochran for conceding a game or for conceding the match so he could make his flight to get to an important meeting in the morning. Yeah, were probably people who. Uh, had never held down a job in which like being there is an important part of it and had never and probably were not people who were capable of making the finals of a Grand Prix with KCI. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, there was definitely a bit of a of a um, there's a back and forth kind there's of. A, there was a back and forth going on about some people like coverage was definitely not happy with 
Hunter conceded. But it's a pretty um, weird spot to put them in the Yeah, I mean, you know, the coverage wants to be able to... They're there to, to showcase the finals of a Grand Prix, and that's yep. a really big deal for a lot of people. Yeah. So I can, you know, I can see that side, absolutely. Right, and but, especially if you're coming from a place where, like, making the finals of a Grand Prix is, like, this kind of mythical accomplishment. Like, right. it's, it's an incredible thing to be at. And, and I can see how you could, like, not fathom how somebody could just be like, no, I can't do this right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think, like... You Hunter, have to yeah. make your priorities. Yeah, Hunter just has his priorities in other ways, and uh, Hunter is a Grand Prix champion. Um, so you know he—it's not like a title that he's he's seeking desperately, like he might have been in his you know earlier on in his Magic career. Yep. Yeah, I, I just thought it was a really really classy move to be able to just be like, you know what, um, I can't do this. Yeah, it's yours. I you know I I think that it's just higher equity for me to be able to make my my plane on time. So. I I it's a completely reasonable decision for me to say, you know I I to leave twenty five hundred dollars in equity on the table in order to make a flight to make an important meeting in the morning that matters for your job that is important to you that seems yeah. completely reasonable to me. Yeah, for sure. And and Hunter's a brilliant guy and he I'm sure did an equity calculation on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, twenty five hundred dollars, but maybe even only a percentage of that because you're already like down, down a game. game. Yeah, yeah. So especially, yeah, down the game that you're really supposed to win, because game one, yeah, favors right KCI. It's only going to get harder post board. Yep, for sure. Uh, Ely's list was definitely really interesting. Yeah, let's take a look at it. For yeah. Sure. So I mean, we've got the basics: the thing in the ice, the Arclight Phoenix, the most important cards in the deck. Um, some things that got swapped out. Uh, you know, the secondary threat slot or tertiary threat slot in the deck is really up for debate. You know, I've been on JVPs. A lot of people have been making fun of me for playing JVPs. Not not really, but, you know, you get some looks and stuff <laughs> uh, because it's yeah. not as, you know, direct and quick as, like, Swiss Spear, which, um, side note, I do really like... I know uh, some people were playing the, like, four Swiss Spear, two Mutagenic Growth package yeah. as the tertiary threats, and mm-hmm. I think that is that is pretty cool, um, and I, I really want to give that a shot. Um, but Ely's, like, tertiary threats were a couple of Pyromancer Ascensions and some Crackling Drakes. Um, yeah. I tried Pyromancer Ascensions before. I wasn't really impressed with them, but I also wasn't if I didn't have one in my hand, I wasn't necessarily, like, sequencing towards the fact that I have Pyromancer Ascensions in my deck. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. I also just boarded them out a lot because I was unimpressed with them, so I didn't give myself a chance to be, <laughs> like, super into them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I evaluate the Pyromancer's Ascensions as uh, just another two-mana threat, right. in my opinion. Um, I think that it's relatively easy to turn on the deck, um, and I think that if you get it online and you're playing in a matchup that's, you know... They don't just untap and kill you. Yeah, exactly. A, a matchup that it's reasonable against, because there are matchups where it's not reasonable, and yeah. but that's fine. You just pour it out. Right. Um, There's matchups where Crackling Drake is yeah. uncastable. Right. There's also matchups where Pyromancer's Engine is unbeatable. Yep. <laughs> you know, if you play it against Jeskai Control, then they're gonna have a really tough time. Yes. yes. Um. So. Uh. Yeah. So I. I. Uh, I think that it's a great addition, for sure. Um. One of the other big differences in the deck, and this doesn't feel like a big difference, but I think once you look at the sideboard in particular, you really start to feel what's going on here. So he swapped out the opts for sleight of hands, yeah, which basically just give you a little more information before you make your decision with the like effective scry. Yep. Um, like it just 
is a slightly more powerful cantrip, but it's sorcery speed. And we see that he's able to play it because his sideboard only has two counterspells in it. Yeah. My sideboard for the deck, I run like seven to eight specialized counterspells. Right. I right. really like boarding into that. Um, running the ops is part of that because I leave up the mana and then I, you know, use an opt at the end of their turn if they didn't cast anything that I want to counter, take a counter off of my thing in the ice, and then I'm able to do stuff on my turn. With Slight, that becomes a little bit harder, and I think that's part of the deck, you know, constructing the 75 here. Mm. So Yeah, think... that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I think that I, I, it, it's clear to me, just looking at the list, that Ely views this deck more as a, a tap-out combo blue-red deck, mm -hmm. not as a tempo-y, right. try to interact with you and do my thing deck. Because, it, you know, with Phoenix, it seems pretty tough to be able to do both of those things and still execute your plan of getting the phoenix out right yeah and i never bring in more than you know some of my counters i've never brought in all of the counter spells in any matchup <laughs> right because your right. deck doesn't function anymore yeah, yeah it's yeah. just in modern generic counter spells don't go very far so you want the one mana ones that do a specific thing and then they take up a lot of slots but um so, you know, maybe something like this sideboard that's on, you know, ancient grudges and threads of disloyalties and these, like, very targeted sort of hate cards. Um, I can see. And any flashback card is great in this deck, so. True. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, definitely a really cool take. Uh, ancient grudge, yeah, you said the, that was another interesting uh, addition to the sideboard, splashing a, a breeding pool mm -hmm. to support that. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a braids in those slots mm -hmm. in my sideboard. Um I've sometimes, you know, I've brought them in in matchups where I want to deal the three damage to creatures. And especially, like, it feels nice to have them as potential answers to uh, Aether Vial that also can kill a creature if you get past the stage where Aether Vial matters. But those are, you know, Spirits and Humans are also matchups where I think you're ahead by a reasonable amount because you're a Lightning Bolt thing in the ice deck anyways. Yeah. So uh, maybe Ancient Grudge is buying you equity that's more important in, in some matchups. That said, like, uh, I I want more than two ceremonious rejections in my sideboard. Yeah, and I don't think Agent Grudge is very good against KCI. <laughs> what, so. what a statement! But I like don't disagree too much, right? You know? <laughs> I mean, there's two cards you can hit with it, which is Mox Opal, yeah. which is a zero mana card yeah. that they got a mana out of. Right. And there's Mindstone, where you really only can hit it like on turn two for that to matter very much. So, unless you're hitting something and then surgicaling it, like you're not getting that much out of your ancient grudge a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think the idea might be that, like you know, the full ancient grudge might be able to disrupt their that's combo true. turn. That's true. Where if you can, you know, if you can get a KCI twice in a turn, mm -hmm. that's like pretty reasonable at, at making them not be able to go off that turn. That's but that's, just like one removal spell for an artifact is... rarely gets there. Yeah. Because the first KCI, if they're playing around it at all, the first KCI leads into the mana for the Buried Ruin or the Inventor's Fair so they can get the second KCI. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, pretty crazy. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like, this Phoenix list, it, it seems great. Um, won the Grand Prix. I, I know he... Uh, I may, maybe I kind of heard this, like, second or third hand, but I'd heard that he said that he would rather have the young pyromancers in the main deck over pyromancer ascension as a tertiary yes. threat. I also did that hear hear that along the grapevine. And that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, the young pyromancers seem seem pretty strong in general in that deck. So Yeah, they're just not good friends with Thing in the Ice is like the main reason why I haven't been doing that. Sure. But 
if you just sequence so that you have one in play, then that is mostly fine. Right. And then also, you know, if you if you have like a bunch of tokens and you need them, mm-hmm. then you just you probably aren't gonna need your thing in the ice. Yeah. So just don't play it. Or if you really need to flip a thing in the ice, that's probably going to be very, very good for you and make up for the fact that you're losing some of your free equity that you're too on value. Yeah. Um, which was free for the most part. So yep. um so yeah, um, so, I like it. But and maybe this is the the point in the episode where we transition over a little bit into some spoilers. Ooh, uh, I do want to make one more uh, interesting okay. point about. Yeah, cantrips. go ahead. No, I just had a cute segue, so you know we'll back up a little bit when it's time. But yeah, talk about cantrips because excellent cantrips are super interesting. One of the biggest debates that we had going into this weekend for my team was Zan wanted to play opt in his shadow list, right? And I hated that idea. Mm-hmm. I think Serum Visions and Shadow is much better. Yeah. Or maybe even at this point I could say I thought that Serum Visions at this point was much better. Okay. Um, because Serum Visions is what the the hive mind of Shadow has kind of landed on mm-hmm. at this point. And Shadow's been around for a minute now. People really like the ability to, you know, utilize Street Race to be able to get the card at the same turn so you can kind of build your own preordain with mm-hmm. Serum Visions. And just kind of like, you know, in a vacuum... Serum Visions is a stronger card than Opt. Yeah. But one thing I realized was that Zan made a lot of really good points where having a card now and having a card next turn is very different. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the time, past turn one, Opt becomes better than Serum Visions mm-hmm. for that reason. And somebody, when when I was, I was at one point over the weekend, I was kind of goldfishing Chris's, uh, is it deck and and that at that while I was goldfishing it somebody told me that Ely was playing sleight of hands in his deck and and you know and somebody's told me that while I'm like you know trying to go off with cantrips and stuff <laughs> and like noticing how powerful it is that opt like digs you into your second one yep um, on the turn that you're trying to cast a lot of spells to either flip your thing in the ice or get your um, your phoenixes online so I was like wow that makes a ton of sense. And I even assumed at that point that Ely had decided to play Sleight of Hand over Serum Visions. Right. Um, turns out he played Sleight of Hand over Opt. But I'm wondering now if it's better to play Sleight of Hand over Serum Visions and also play Opt to op- to optimize your chances of... Right. So you're always do- having the cantrips that do it in the right order. Right, rather right, than- right. So I, I've been giving this a lot of thought too because we had this discussion. I'd love to hear it. Um, and I think that... So number one... Serum Visions is just more powerful on turn one. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we've talked about that. And that is very important when your deck is constructed around playing a two that is that you want to dig for. Um, that's kind of a no-brainer. And, and, you know, but one of the things we, we were talking about is, but, like, what if Serum Visions is just worse on every other turn of the game? Yeah. That's, a much, that's a very significant portion of the time that you're playing Magic. Right. However, I think in a deck with this much... Uh, like churning through cards i think that the serum visions has extra equity enough of the time Mm -hmm. that you just want that in your deck because you want to find the phoenix you want to find the phoenix and you are often able to go further into your deck after casting the serum visions on the same turn because we have faithless looting and manamorphos that are you know blind draws yeah, yeah, yeah. to follow up the Serum Visions with. And many, many turns, I lead with the Serum Visions, and then I do the Manamorphos, and it's it feels 
I mean, it feels like I'm casting preordain. Right. Especially if you bottom bottom, you're like, wow, I'm digging so deep. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I think just because the deck has so much blind drawing in it, it does hit that point where I want. I think Serum Visions has to be in the deck. Mm-hmm. I can see what you mean with a deck like Death Shadow when it's really just Street Wraith that you can use to turn your Serum Visions into a preordain. Yeah, not enough. Then I'm not as psyched, and especially because in Death Shadow, the the difference between playing a guy this turn and playing a guy next turn in your like enormous. It's a it's a it's a turn. Yeah, of your clock. Yeah, <laughs> and you're playing team or battle rage. You <laughs> often only need like one attack. So right, that's that's just a big deal. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, like definitely something to think about when you're. I, I I'm glad we had this discussion you know multiple times over the past couple of days and honestly i'm glad that you've been thinking about that because i think that you've convinced me that serum visions belongs in Mm -hmm. phoenix so well something good came out of me playing all this phoenix at least all right i had no doubts (laughs) for sure but yeah so the segue that i was going to use to get us over to spoilers (laughs) great you know every phoenix deck that we've seen be successful has a different tertiary threat suite you've got four phoenixes you've got four things in the ice and then you've got Something. Some nonsense. Yeah. Crackling Drakes, I like JVP, sometimes there's Monastery Swift Spears, sometimes there's Pyromancer Ascensions. Uh, none of it is good. Like, I like JVP, I'm not going to argue that it's, like, an actively great card or anything like that. Yeah. I'm really hoping that this spoiled card is is what we want. And I believe the name of the card is Terramander, with a silent P at the beginning. Um, it is, its creature type is Salamander Drake. I think that it's actually also just called... So that's a translated name. Is it really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've been told that the name is Pateramander. Um, Pateramander? And by Pateramander, you mean... Terramander. Great. Okay. <laughs> <Yes>. Good. <laughs> I just wanted to double check. <laughs> All right. So this is one blue for a 1-1 one, one flying. And it has a depth of 7 and a blue for a depth 4. But its adapt costs one less for each instant or sorcery card in your graveyard. Yeah. So it's got like a kind of little like treasure cruise bedlam reveler thing going on mm-hmm, over there. Mm-hmm. And I am really excited about this card for eternal formats. Yeah. Uh, in the Phoenix deck, it seems excellent because you're you're churning through your deck and you're gonna have a lot of uh, you're gonna be able to put a lot of stuff into your graveyard. Yep. And it feels like you know relatively early on in the game you're just going to be able to make this a 5-5 flyer Mm -hmm. and then uh, the cool thing is that every additional one of these that you find in the late game is just a 2-mana 5-5 flyer right that seems really strong I think so so I mean there's a couple of things to talk about here like it does not give you the ability to start games the way that Delver does in actual Delver decks where you Mm -hmm. pay 1 mana for it and on the second turn it might be attacking for 3 in the air like it's not that fast and it's not that free but it's a way better top deck than delver ever was you know you were pretty happy to draw your delver certainly but this thing just is a five five and if you have a couple of mana up it can't be bolted at that point and i yeah is it's got a lot going for one of the big weaknesses is that it does use the graveyard Mm -hmm. um and we're already using the graveyard with phoenix so especially post board this may not be an incredible threat um have people tried Delver in this deck? I, I just don't think it's playable in modern. Honestly. No, just in general? Just in general. Okay. Because there's no way to set it up and you're just banking on the fact that your deck is you know, slightly less than 50% instants and sorceries. I think that's not good enough. Yeah. Fair. Um, 
I, I'm sure I haven't tried it just because I've convinced myself that it can't be played in modern. <laughs> That's fair, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that Swift Spear is just much better in this deck anyways. If you're trying to get, you know, another one in that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, the flying text on this creature really speaks to me here. Flying, um, Flying's great. Flying but, as a keyword is, is very, very strong, for sure. One of the main reasons that I haven't liked Swift Spear that much in the deck is, mm-hmm. um, and, and why I kind of like it more when you have added in Mutagenic Gross, is just because, like, Thing in the Ice and Phoenix, your first two threats, both just ignore blockers. Yeah. Like, Thing in the Ice gets rid of them and then just is bigger than blockers, mm-hmm. and Phoenix has flying. Yeah. This thing having flying means it can, you know, Swift Spear would get brickwalled by a lot of stuff that the rest of your deck would tend to ignore, and it just turns it off as a card. Yeah. This thing has flying, too, so... Um, and even before you get to pay the mana to turn it into a giant 5-5 five, five threat, it's plinking in for a damage or two here or there when the sure. rest of your deck is bolts and phoenixes. That matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it often comes down to those last couple of points. So mm-hmm. um, every point matters. Yeah. Definitely don't don't shun the card just because it's a 1-1 one, one on the front end. Yeah. Um, we'll see if the play patterns are too awkward with it or something. Like, I'm not... it, Yeah, it's one of those cards that you're really going to have to test with. Yeah. So... But uh, crack out the proxies. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, honestly, right. I, we can I kinda, get started right now. <laughs> yeah, and I just kind of want to goldfish with it a little bit first to see if it works, and then Great. then later on you determine if like the the graveyard vulnerabilities are too big of a deal or mm. what. But you know, post board you can take them out and put in your stupid crackling drakes if that's what you want to do. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think crackling drake is a fine sideboard card. No, okay. Side note. But, sure. Like, sure. Uh, I'm not interested in main decking. I don't want to main deck any of them, really, if I can help it. And I'm glad that Ely agrees with me that you don't, you definitely don't want more than two in your main deck. Sure. I can get behind that. Absolutely. All right. So what spoiler do we want to talk about next? What are you most excited about from this set? Blue-green cards. Just, <laughs> they're all cool, <laughs> all right? The, all of the blue-green cards just speak to me for some reason. I don't know why. They're, it, you know, and, and a lot of these are, are from the green cards specifically. I think that the, the green in here is uh, pretty pushed. Yeah. Which is a little strange to see, I guess. But... Well, so what are you most psyched about then? So, uh, a lot of these. Um, I guess I guess we could should go down. Growth Spiral. Let's start with Growth Spiral. Yeah. yeah. This card is Explore, and that card is can so, be very strong in the right archetype. Especially at this point where Wizards has sort of set the standard that, like, mana creatures, although we just got land or elves, but in general, mana creatures cost two mana, and non-creature-based ramp costs three mana. And mm-hmm. Grow Spiral breaks that. This is a two-mana ramp spell. Right. Um, and there seem to be a lot of pretty strong ways to utilize that in, in archetypes that are going to be existing mm-hmm. after the set is released. Uh, I think that there's going to be a uh, pretty powerful Turbofog-ish list. I, well, people are calling it Turbofog. I don't think that that's really going to be... taking turns at this point. Yeah, it's taking turns at this point. Um, and the card that really highlights that for me... <laughs> I put in another copy of this. That's all right. It deserves at least two in our <laughs> yeah. little spoiler gallery. Um, Wilderness Reclamation yeah. is a four-mana green enchantment. Um, says at the beginning of your end step, untap all lands you control. So we want some stuff we can cast that's expensive and instant speed. Yeah, so we want we want something that can really utilize a lot of mana at instant speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we're going to have a lot of mana. And, uh, you know, people already have figured out that those the untapping lands in your end step is pretty cute with the fairy. Yep. People have combined that already with Nexus of Fate. Yep. And the curve of Growth Spiral into wilderness reclamation into take an extra turn the next turn uh 
And you also have, like, three additional mana if you've been making all of your land drops. Yeah. Because you have ten mana that turn. You can, like, spend three on, you know, casting one of your cards, and then you move to your end step and, and float some mana and untap all your lands and get another turn. And then on your next turn, you get 12 mana if you make another land. It's just... Yep. All of this seems pretty crazy to me. And get another land that you're really happy to untap with Wilderness Reclamation is Search for Ascanta. We can, like... Yes. Double up on those activations or activate it and leave up mana. Mm-hmm. Um, our our main ramp card that we're using uh, in in uh, Growth Spiral is a ramp spell that goes to the graveyard and gets us one closer to flipping that search for Escanta, so that's kind yeah. of nice. Right. Um, I have seen people positing the sequence of the new uh, emergency powers. This is mm-hmm. the seven mana Azorius Mythic that is you know wheel of fortune but if you cast it in your main step in in your main phase you can put a permanent into play with converted mana cost seven or less yeah that permanent can be wilderness reclamation and then you can just (laughs) untap your lands and cast the nexus of fate that you drew i that seems like a turn to me yeah yeah i mean you know so in order for a card like this to be good Mm -hmm. it needs to check off a couple of boxes for me okay because this card's a do nothing well it it feels like you know it it doesn't it doesn't offer much to the board other than purely if the rest of your deck is creatures and removal spells this card doesn't do anything um So it it needs to be able to do enough in the context of the other cards that you're playing, mm-hmm. right? So Nexus of Fate seems like an excellent way to to utilize that. Frilled Mystic seems like another excellent way to utilize that. So this is the four uh, mana, the green, green, blue, blue, yeah. three, two, flash, mystic, snake. Yeah, so yeah, flash, three, two, that ETBs to counter a spell mm-hmm. um, for four mana. It's green, green, blue, blue, so it's supposed to be pretty hard to cast. But our mana's pretty solid. You know, people are casting... We've been casting plenty of Crackling, crackling Drakes and for... Fine Brokers. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and niv Right, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, so this card feels like just Mystic Snake. Um, and it seems to work really well with Wilderness Reclamation because it's a flashed creature that you can hold up now on your opponent's turn after you cast your yep. Wilderness Reclamation. Insane. And another thing that this card really opens up is uh, with these really powerful green adapt creatures that have been spoiled so far. Right, because you can play adapt um, at instant speed. Yes, you can. So, And that's another mana sink that mm-hmm. you can utilize. Because you really need to be able to use this mana on something yeah. in order for it to be good, right? Um, so it feels like the rest of your deck needs to offer that in a, in a big way. Mm-hmm. Um, right, you need to be like overjoyed when you draw the Wilderness Reclamation for yeah, it yeah. to be a good card in your deck. Right. So, you know, everybody's been talking about the this elf crab warrior. This is the These creature types are so good. <laughs> we mentioned that Frilled Mystic is a lizard wizard. It's a lizard wizard. <laughs> it's a it's an elf lizard wizard. Yeah, right? but it's mostly a lizard wizard. Yeah, that's until I mean, you have a lord in play. That's just great. So so yeah, so there's an there's Growth Chamber Guardian, mm-hmm. which is a two mana two two. It has three mana, adapt two. Mm-hmm. So on this on its own, this card seems very powerful because you can play it on well, and then I guess I shouldn't skip over the next line of text. Yeah. Uh, it says, whenever one or more plus one plus one counters are put on Growth Chamber Guardian, you may search your library for a card named Growth Chamber Guardian, put it into your hand, and shuffle your library. So whenever this guy gets a counter on him, which he can just do on his own. Sure. Three mana. You get to search your library for another one of them and yep. put it in your hand. Yeah. And so just by himself, he's a 4-4 four, four, like Squadron Hawk kind of thing. Right. So, so this guy seems great, um, and and has a mana sink that you mm-hmm. can you can use your wilderness reclamation to utilize if you want. Right, and um, it, it's not it's way better than just regular adapt guys because you get to pay that adapt cost yeah. like four times right. if you want. 
And another thing that feels really important to me is that uh, these cards that I want to play with Wilderness Reclamation mm-hmm. don't need Wilderness Reclamation to be good. Sure. Because that's another requirement that I think that a card like Wilderness Reclamation requires is that a lot of these kinds of cards, you end up building a deck around them and then realizing that the deck that you've built is non-functional without this one card. Mm-hmm. And those decks just aren't functional. Yeah. Um, but the rest of these cards that it, that it seems like we're going to be incentivized to put in this deck are just very strong. Yeah. The Growth Chamber Guardian, and then another card that was just recently spoiled, um, Incubation Druid. I think this card is insane. This card seems really, really strong to me. It's a, it's a two-mana mana dork on mm-hmm. the surface, right? So it's two mana for an O2, says tap to add one mana of any type um, of a land you control uh, could produce. Add one mana of any type that a land you control could produce. Um, if Incubation Druid has a plus one, plus one counter on it, add three mana of that type instead. So if you can get a plus one, plus one counter on this, which it has five mana adapt three just mm-hmm. on the card. Um, it's, it's a Gilded Lotus. It's a Gilded Lotus. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Um, so so bare minimum, this is a, a two mana mana dork, yep. which in standard right now is fine. You know, even played by the black green decks. Yeah. Um, now, now the slight difference. You know, one of the reasons that the black green decks often run one or two druids of the cowl is that you can finality and keep the druid in play. Hmm. And this is only an O two by itself, so you can't quite do that play pattern. But you can adapt this guy, and then it does it. It, it survives finality without you even putting the counters onto it. <laughs> yeah. So right. I, I don't think anybody's going to be playing druid of the cowl going forward after this guy is around. Yes. Um, <laughs> For sure. So yeah. So this card is another, you know, another card that seems like it could fit into this weird blue-green deck that I keep on brewing in my right. mind, which consists of just generally powerful cards up the curve, and then a combo finish of Search for Zcanta plus um, Nexus, Nexus of Fates. Yeah. Uh, um. So well, I, I do want to just talk about Incubation Druid on its own a little bit. This card is so flexible in just, like, how you can use... Like, number one, you can just use it as a two-mana mana dork if, like, you have a four-mana spell on your third turn you want to cast. Yeah. This is, like, the fail case of the card, is it's a two-mana mana dork. But it can help pay for its own adapt cost. So its adapt cost kind of is, like, four mana out, you know, not counting this card. Yeah. Or you can adapt and then use the mana from it to also cast a three that turn. <laughs> so right. it really yeah. discounts its own adapt cost, yeah. which I think is awesome. Mm-hmm. Or you can put plus one, plus one counters on it without the adapt cost and get way ahead. The card that we keep on thinking about is Hadana's Climb. Yeah. Hadana's Climb in this deck seems perfect with both of these two mana adapt creatures that we're seeing here. You can just keep putting the counters on your growth chamber guardian and get the other growth chamber guardians without paying mana for them. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah, and like either of these new two drops curved into a Donna's Climb, that just opens up so many doors. Because imagine, you know, turn two, Incubation Druid, turn three, Adonis Climb, puts a counter on Incubation Druid, tap the Incubation Druid for another three mana card. Insanity. Um, another thing, if you want to be more focused on ramping, what's it called? The Ixalan, like, enchant land. What, what is the other thing that it does? So, that's the important part, actually. The, the Ixalan Gift of Paradise, uh, puts oh, a plus one, yeah. plus one counter onto a Something creature. Horizon? New Horizons. New Horizons. New Horizons puts a plus one, plus one counter on a creature when it comes into play. Look at me remembering part of a card that, name. <laughs> that is not your job. <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, 
So, so New Horizons is Gift of Paradise, but instead of you gaining three life, which is an important thing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. instead of you gaining three life, it puts a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control when it enters the battlefield. That could be really relevant here. Incubation Druid into New Horizons. Turn four, you have eight mana. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of mana. It's a lot of mana. It's, you know, they can mess with that. In Incubation Druid dies to all of the removal in the format, but it's a, it's a very threatening sort of sequence of events. Yeah. So. And honestly, I'm I'm pretty excited to explore all of like the various weird ways that we can incidentally put a plus one plus one counter on creatures. Sure. Because um, you know, uh, yeah, what if, for battle. What if that's just good? Yeah. Is uh is a one mana white card that you can put a plus one plus one counter onto two of your creatures. Up and to two. So even if you only have one, you can still cast. Yeah, it. up to two. You know, yeah. Which is which is great. So um, so you, you know, I would love to explore. Uh, you know, an adapt deck with white that maybe plays that card. Maybe it's too cute. Maybe it's too mm -hmm. narrow and only does that. Yeah. Maybe we want more things that are like incidentally giving us plus one plus one counters, mm -hmm. like like um, New Horizons does. Yeah. So they're still you know worth cards, right? Because uh, Gurfer Battle isn't worth really cards outside of the context of sure. You know, up triggering your your. Uh, these adapt guys. Yeah, but some of these adapt triggers get you actual cards. Growth Chamber Guardian puts a card in your hand when a plus <laughs> right. one plus one counter gets put on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing that I really like, you know, not to go back too much to Incubation Druid, but it's so flexible, you know, the the way that you do the adapting or putting plus one, count, plus one counters on it, like it all kind of works out pretty well and pretty smoothly. And yeah. one of the things that I think goes along beautifully with it is Hydroid Crisis which is uh, this 0, zero Jellyfish Hydra Beast that costs X a green and a blue. Oh, yeah. It gets X plus one plus one counters on it. It has Flying and Trample. When you cast it, you gain half of X life and draw half of X cards rounded mm. down. Yeah. So basically, like, you know, you think of it in steps. So it's like a four mana 2-2 two -two that you draw a card and gain a life. Okay, yeah. whatever. It's a six mana 4-4 four -four that you draw two cards and gain two life. It's That's a, great. <laughs> yeah. That's great. On rate, six mana, it's, it's four like four flyer that draws two cards. There. That's insane. This is... We haven't had a ramp deck in a minute, because anything you could ramp into just gets countered. <laughs> right, yeah. This is a cast trigger. Yeah, yeah. How is a counterspell deck going to beat you if you cast this for eight mana, draw three cards, gain three life? You're just going to chain into more that you keep casting for bigger numbers. Yeah. Um, and Incubation Druid, I think, works really well for that, because if you're at a small ramp stage where you cast this for two mana and now it's your third turn and you have four mana you can cast a hydroid crisis and like block with it and stay alive for a little longer to cast some bigger stuff if you get to the later game and you have like 10 or 12 mana or whatever and and this kind of solves the problem that ramp decks have of like drawing into more ramp cards well the more mana i have the more cards i get to draw <laughs> right like this yeah. is a four of you yeah know? yeah i mean it this this blue green like mid rangey uh, whatever something you know yeah. mid rangey combo taking turns deck well there's just a bunch of directions you can go you can yeah. be mid rangey you can be hard ramp like mm -hmm. yeah there's there's a lot of options here yeah I'm I'm really I'm really excited to start you know as soon as this full set is spoiled I'm gonna be brewing up decks like crazy oh, yeah I'm sure yeah. I I'm in the standard seat for Baltimore yeah. and I'm I'm not I'm not letting these guys down so and honestly kudos to to R and D for for putting out a set that has us this excited these about are it. delightful cards yeah 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 I I mean this this seems great and I'm I'm just like so excited to brew and you know I'm really crossing my fingers that 
this there isn't just like one obvious deck that ends up taking over standard. That would right. be lame. Right. Um, so I'm hoping that it isn't quite as busted as it all looks right now. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but I think that the power level of standard is about to if uh, everybody's doing take busted a stuff, pretty pretty significant increase because the power level of these cards on their own are is very high. Yeah. Um, Can we talk about Judith for a second? We should probably pry ourselves away from the green blue cards a for little a bit. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, what else have we got? We've got yeah, Judith is important. I think yeah, it's definitely going to be. It, it seems to be another card that is going to be a high impact mm-hmm. card in standard. So this is Judith the Scourge Diva. Yeah, which is a great name, by the way. Yeah, um, one a black and red for a two-two legendary creature, human shaman. Other creatures you control get plus one plus zero. Whenever a non-token creature you control dies, Judith deals one damage to any target. It's a lot more powerful than most blood artists that we've seen. Any target. Any target. It's, it's. I mean, yeah, that's very powerful. And it's an anthem on its own. Right. And it's three mana. It just does a lot. It, it's, yeah. it makes all of your little stuff so much better. Fanatical Firebrand now is uh, the fire half of Fire and Ice, or is attacking for two damage. You know, she says non-token creatures on her, but even if you have some tokens, they're getting plus one, plus oh, so she's fine with, you know, um, Goblin Instigator and stuff. Like, you're not going to not play that card if that's an effect that you want in the deck. Yeah, for sure. And also, yeah, so, I mean, this card seems like, and uh, the other black-red card that we've seen is Bedevil, right? Yeah. And so, you know, the power level of all these cards seems very high. It does. I, hopefully um, just everybody's doing powerful stuff and it kind of like works itself out. I imagine that that's going to be the case, for yeah. sure. Another card that was spoiled that I really like is uh, Skewer the Critics. So this is uh, the next pseudo-bolt that we that we have seen printed. So it's, it's on the surface, two and a red for uh, sorcery speed, deal three damage to any target. Mm-hmm. But it has Spectacle for just a single red. So if you're uh, if you've dealt damage to your opponent this turn, you can cast it for for one mana, and you'll be able to you know bolt something. Yep. And that, that that card I think is just really powerful. I think that's modern playable. Yeah, in burn, this card is probably going to uh, replace some of the cards for sure. Yeah, I mean one of the big things in burn has been like one of the things you've pursued with it is trying to like more ones more ones yeah lower the mana cost of the deck take out your skull cracks and put in skewer the critics and i think your game ones are going to be stronger probably yeah absolutely yeah so and i think that they printed this at a good time for modern too because i think that the power level of burn in modern is falling a little behind uh the race here (laughs) so i would tend to agree with you yeah but this weekend burn had like pretty good results okay it was a substantial proportion of the decks that did well, both at SCG Columbus and at GP Oakland. Yeah. Um, it just had a pretty solid showing. It was like, you know, 15% of the the top decks, honestly, was was Burn. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering how much of that is it's it's relatively strong against KCI. I, I don't know if you feel a different way about that matchup, um, but I'm mostly just thinking about the Eidolons and I, stuff. I think that Burn has a, has a good KCI matchup. Yeah. Um, for sure, I, the 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 formula that works against KCI mm-hmm. is clock plus disruption. Yep, and uh, Burn has access to disruption through Eidolon, um, and then sometimes they play like Rest in Peace or something mm-hmm. post board as well, which can be annoying. Right, and um, they also have removal spells for the Scrap Trawler to make things much more not yeah for the Scrap Trawler to like in the middle of the turn make things much more awkward. Yeah, every once in a while that'll yeah. disrupt the combo. Yep, and every, every the, once in a while, every once, in a while. but but like. 
if they have like Eidolon in play and a Lightning Bolt up, then that's like a really hard spot for you to combo off. Of. Yeah, 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 for sure. So yeah, I um, Screw the Critics is another card I'm excited about, and then uh, another card that definitely needs to be mentioned, I think, is mm-hmm. uh, Kaya's Wrath. So yeah. this is the the new Wrath of God that people are talking about. It's a four mana, destroy all creatures, no downside. It even has upside. It says uh, you gain life equal to the number of creatures you control uh, that were destroyed this way. So just a little worse um, than Fumigate on text alone. And the downside is the the mana cost. Mm-hmm. It's double white, double black, right? Um, we don't get just Wrath of God anymore. That's no. not what yeah, R&D It's not going to happen. <laughs> right. So, you know, they're trying to restrict the, the kinds of decks that you can put Kai's Wrath into. Mm-hmm. But I suspect that this will still end up showing up in some sort of uh, Esper control build. I have to, I have to believe that it will. Yeah. Um, one thing that I really like is that while it can show up in an Esper build for sure, it's probably very difficult to run it in a counterspell heavy Esper build, which I think reduces some of the power level of Teferi. Um, yeah. reducing the strength of the untapping the two lands mm-hmm. is a really big deal and yeah. by taking out a substantial portion of the, the counter spells that yeah. you can actually play um, hopefully that diversifies the control decks a little bit yeah. or at least makes the Teferi decks not quite so brutal to play against yeah, that's fair, for sure right, because the all of the th- the three mana counter spells are a requirement, I mm-hmm. think, for uh, a successful control deck in standard yeah um, and we have access to those right now, but the ones that we do have access to are Ionize, which is blue-red, yep. which you're certainly I'm not, not going to play. I ain't trying to build that Kai's mana base. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and then the other one's double blue. Yep. Um, so so I think that they did a pretty good job balancing the these powerful cards in the same format yeah. by having this restrictive mana cost associated with it. Right, like Wrath of God, I think would be egregious next to Teferi and these counter spells right now. Oh, oh man, just yeah, completely unacceptable. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, um, but Kai's Wrath, I can get behind because Agreed. it's not gonna, you know, you're the blue deck that you're you're playing against is, you know, it's not as it's very far from a guarantee to cast this on turn four. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so I'm I'm not as worried about that. Yeah, but when they do curve, it's gonna you know it's gonna happen. You're like you're going to be playing in a comp league. Somebody's going to like turn two syncopate, turn three disallow, like have up Kaya's wrath. Of course, like yeah. Well, just, honestly, the mana's good right now. It is good, and we, you know we have all the new shocklands as well. You know all the other colors that we were missing. Yep. Um, you could just build good mana bases these days. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess if you successfully cast counter spells on turn two and three, you're not trying to wrath on turn four, right. but you know what I'm, you know what I mean. If people were playing Naya Blitz back in the day with a bunch of shock lands, then, <laughs> then you better believe that <laughs> people can play a control deck with <laughs> weird mana costs. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. So yeah. Yeah, but, but yeah, that mana cost definitely makes this card less, you know, terrifying in its, what it implies this format is going to be. And and I think given, you know, given these Simic cards that we're really excited about, there's going to be like big creatures in play that you do want to wrath away. So I think the value of this card will be pretty high. Yeah. Any other cards we want to make sure we talk about? So there's also Spawn of Mayhem. Oh, that yeah, that is a cool card. It's got a lot of text. But... It does have a lot of text. Um, effectively, it's a... Uh, I think that this card is going to be a, a pretty key piece in the these Rakdos aggressive shell, the the, the Rakdos spectacle deck mm-hmm. that I'm sure people are going to be trying out. 
Um, Spawn of Mayhem is a, uh, on the surface, it's a four mana, four, four flying trample, which is strong. Um, Flample, good stuff. Flample is a a surprisingly powerful combination of keywords. (laughs) It says, uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, Spawn of Mayhem deals one damage to each player. Uh, then, if you have 10 or less life, put a plus one plus one counter on Spawn of Mayhem. So, a- if you're low, then you can, uh, you know, it just gets big every turn. It's it's almost effectively a five power creature because it's dealing one extra damage each turn. If you're the aggressive yeah. deck, that's yeah, usually fair. better for you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, and then it, it has spectacle for one black black. So, that's really important. So, this is the key. This yeah. is the kicker, right? Yeah. Is that uh, a lot of the time in a deck built around spectacle, you're going to be able to play a three mana, effectively five power flying yeah. creature. Right. And that seems really strong. And it also like continues turning on, even if for some reason you can't attack with your 4-4 four, four flying mm-hmm. trample. It just triggers spectacle. It triggers spectacle. And it also triggers spectacle pre-combat, which I think is an important thing. True. Like Then you can play Skewer the Critics, your first main phase, to clear a blocker for your other guy or yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And that's cool. Right. Um, so yeah, this guy seems to be a pretty key piece of spectacle decks moving forward. Yeah, and I think one of the important things about evaluating these cards is figuring out just how easy spectacle is to turn on. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's also just going to raise the value of the cards that turn it on easily. So I think Fanatical Firebrand is just going to be a super important creature going forward, and and things like that will have high value. For sure. Because... Like, these spectacle cards are powerful if you pay the spectacle cost. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that the these decks might really want to look into some, you know, some of those weird cheap ways of turning on spectacle. And then also, like, there's a there's a non-zero number of one-mana flyers in, in black, which is That's interesting true. Um, to consider. So, you know, because if the format turns out to be, you know, not a ton of flyers, then these spectacle decks would love to have... Yeah, just get a source um, in turn one. Uh, um, I can't remember Blight what. Keeper. Blight Keeper yeah. is the one I'm thinking about. And there might be another one, but I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, keep an, keep an eye out for Blight Keeper in your, in, in your Judith decks. Because yeah. if you play a Judith, then, you know, a 2 1 flyer That's all a of a sudden is, is a very real threat. So, yeah. um, And then when you sacrifice it for 8 mana, it deals 4 instead of 3. Ah, Great. Big brain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, um, I think kind of closing thoughts, I guess, is that spoilers look very exciting. I'm yeah. super pumped for this new set. I am super pumped. I'm a little nervous about our set review because I, I think we're going to be talking about a lot of cards. <laughs> True. <laughs> but it'll um, be fun. That's fine. We'll knock out a three-hour set review and, uh, you know. I have a job now. I can't be editing <laughs> these things. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair. Fair. Um, but it'll be fun. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, actually. Uh, yeah. Cool. Um, should we do a Patreon question of the week? Let's do it. Alright. So for our Patreon question of the week, Jay asks, what are your predictions for modern metagame movement if slash when KCI is banned? And we do have a banned and restricted announcement coming up before SCG Baltimore, which uh-huh. <laughs> which is the team tournament in which I am teaming with Lee McLeod, author of the KCI Bible. So yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come for on, like, for like one moment in time, I'm like, I'd rather KCI didn't get banned, but yeah, <laughs> in that one specific scenario. Yeah, um, yeah, but uh, so okay, so what what happens if KCI gets banned? Let's talk about it. Yeah, um, from my narrow perspective mm-hmm. uh i already have some ideas of what i would plan on doing yeah um if i really wanted to commit to learning another deck 
uh, that has the ability to be overpowered, I think that I would shift over to Amulet. Okay. The number of times that I've claimed that I'm going to take the deep dive into Amulet <laughs> on this podcast is very high at this point. Uh, so I'll just add a notch to that tally. But yeah. um, but that would be a consideration for me is that, you know, if I want to really try to specialize in something that I, that I do legitimately think that Amulet has the ability to be one of the best win percentage decks in modern. Mm-hmm. Um, the you did also is, have dinner with... Edgar Bago Hayes and Daryl Ayers. I did. The I other did. Night, and so. and listening to them talk about the deck is a thrill. Um, <laughs> the, it may warp some of your <laughs> under you know some of your your biases. Or maybe around. it just opens my eyes into all of the possibilities <laughs> of the deck. Um, yeah, and 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 there is a standing offer for them to get on a, a hangout with me and and bully me and could completely tear down my ego as I struggle through trying to learn all of the micro of the deck only, right? Ooh, can, I, can I sit on the corner of your bed while you do that? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I think that that might be a direction that I would go. Another option I think that I would personally take would be um, playing Phoenix. Sure. I think that that deck is just really strong. Um, and KCI is not a great matchup for the deck. Yeah. You know, game one, KCI has to stumble for you to win, and then, you know, game two and three, you have to be drawing disruption and, like, have a clock and then be holding up disruption at the proper times. Not, if I went to a tournament with Phoenix knowing that I wouldn't play against KCI, I'd be happier with that than the standard, you know, modern tournament that I show up to, so. Um, But in terms of, like, what happens to modern when Mm -hmm. KCI gets banned... It doesn't actually feel like that much changes. Yeah. Um, it just feels like Casey is gone, and we get to keep on playing modern. Modern just feels kind of like <laughs> you know? a blob to me. And when you like change something, you like yeah. stick a dagger into the metagame somehow, which yeah. might be Casey. It just sort of like shifts to like coalesce around <laughs> that. Like I dagger. like that image. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you, you pull the dagger out, and the blob just kind of, like, moves a little bit around <laughs> right, it. Right. But, like, you know, Burn's still going to be there. People are still going to be playing Blue-White and Jeskai yeah, Control. And like, Spirits and, you know, all sorts of decks. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, decks that are good against KCI lose a little bit. Maybe we see a little less Burn doing super well. Maybe um, a little less Shadow around. Yeah. Um, maybe people move back towards humans over Spirits because it's less important to have, like, super real sideboard cards in your deck. But yeah. it's going to be all small changes, I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, so, yeah, I guess my, my final answer would be I don't I don't really expect that many significant changes to the format, mm-hmm. um, but I do think that it will open up some breathing room into the format for more things to be able to, yeah. you know, potentially grow up in. Like, Phoenix, I think, is a perfect example of a new archetype that was able to grow up in modern mm-hmm. due to cards printed, um, and that has added a, a nice bit of variety, I think. So I like that. Right. Um, if... If this Terramander card is as good as I kind of am hoping, mm-hmm. and then if KCI gets banned, yeah. I'm pretty confident that Phoenix is just going to be the best car- best deck in modern. Okay. Yeah, wow. That's, you know, big statements for sure, but I can totally see it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, it's not going to take that much to right. turn to turn that deck into a pretty pretty high level tier, tier well, one it's, deck. It's a GP winning, it's capable of winning GPs as it is. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um... So, so yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's just more of a reason to just let's just let's just ban KCI. Let's just let's just not right. Let's just not have to worry about that anymore. 
Um, Four copies in the Grand Prix Oakland top eight. No, no other ones in the top sixteen. So it's you know, like there yeah. are four copies in the top sixteen. If the, like that's how you want to look at it, sure. Um, but yeah, that it is, and it is. You know, one of the arguments is also just, just that it is terrible for coverage, mm-hmm. and you know maybe modern doesn't need to have like a big coverage focus necessarily, yeah. especially with arena, but. Yeah. It is not very fun to watch, and commentators have a really hard time both understanding what's going on and communicating what's going on. True, true, true. And uh, and I so I played KCI both in the Classic and in the team tournament. And in the Classic, I played against this guy. He was a bit older. He was telling me about how he goes to tournaments with his son, and mm-hmm. this is like their bonding experience is these tournament weekends. Sure. Um, and he was just, you know, uh, and I was playing KCI against him in this modern tournament, and he, he didn't really understand. He'd heard people talking about it earlier, mm-hmm. um, and I was very happy to explain it to him. But, I mean, our games were just not games of magic. Yeah. You know, uh, he was playing Blue-White Spirits, and I just kind of rolled over him mm-hmm. two games in a row. And, but, you know, it, but that didn't take a short amount of time. Right. A big part of, of that experience for him was just kind of listening to me explain stuff, asking me questions about this timing, weird timing thing that I'm trying to explain to him, um, and watching me just kind of, like, draw a bunch of cards of my deck while telling him, look, I'm pretty deterministically killing you here, but I just have to go through all of this process while I do that, so I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but I'm, I just don't have an infinite loop yet. Um, and at the end of the match, he was like, wow, that just wasn't fun. And and I totally agreed with him. <laughs> uh, you yeah. Know, just kind of like from his experience where he, you know, he wants to come out and play Magic uh, in these tournaments. Yep. And, you know, he's hanging out with his son. And, you know, all of that is is incredible. And I'm so happy to, to see that happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, and then me, Tournament Spike, over here playing KCI. Cause it's going off on turn the three. The highest win percentage. Just killing him on turn three. Yep. Uh, you know... <sighs> You know, I typically when I view when I consider bannings, I'm I'm looking primarily at deck win percentage, mm-hmm. um, because I really want there to be a healthy format where decks have similar win percentages to each other. Yep. But there's so many factors to KCI being bad for Magic outside of that that you just can't ignore that. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Yeah. Well, with that, I think that's pretty much all we got for yep. this episode. Yeah. Uh. Hopefully. The spoiler is coming out by our next one. I think our next one might be a set review. So. Ooh, all right. Get excited. Get hyped for that. <laughs> I will clear some time out of my schedule. Yeah. Anybody got any long car trips coming up? We <laughs> got you covered. Got you covered. <laughs> but they got to be coming up like early on in the format so that our takes are still relevant and, <laughs> and helpful. Right, right, right. For sure. Um, but yeah, so... Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. If you want to find us online, uh, you can find our website, mtggrindcast.com. We've got all the episodes, uh, links to our Patreon, uh, links to Collins's one-on-one coaching services that you can schedule. Yep. Um, you can, if you'd like to support the show, you can become a patron. Head over to our site or patreon.com slash mtggrindcast and uh give us some support that way come join our community and hang out in the discord where we are you know flipping out about all of these spoilers Um, indeed yeah and you can find us on twitter i'm tweeting from at mtg underscore grindcast and collins is also on twitter at collins mullen thank you guys so much for listening and have a great week peace